the most important for me in the education and the, in the, at the university is about developing the critical thinking. It's about learning how to learn. It's also about the network. The people who, with whom you're studying, the people who are teaching you, they will be your support system and your, and your network that will help you to keep learning, to keep developing and to progress in your life and career for the rest of your years on the planet. Hey everybody and welcome again to another episode of Connected Podcast with your host uh, Scott Bensonberg here. Well, it's it's been a few uh, months since I've recorded one of these, but I'm really happy to be back and doing this again. And um you know, uh, I I want to talk a little bit about one of the topics uh, connected to maybe why I've been absent and I think it has something to do with leadership and uh, and also something to do with the conversation that uh, that I want to share with you today. I've been thinking a little bit about perfectionism and um you know the first uh, the first round of podcasts I really proud of the work I'm really proud of uh, the way they sounded and the kind of editing stuff I was doing and I'm also really proud of the conversations which is something that I want to hold on to but uh what was interesting to me was it became uh, a challenge to think about how to get everything perfect get the design exactly the way I wanted it make sure the website looked awesome and professional and um, even make sure that, uh, you know, if I had flubbed a word or flubbed a line, I might go back to it and find a way to re-record. But uh, predictably, this, <laughs> you know, this made the uh, recording the podcast a chore. You know, that's not to say that I'm not proud of the work that I put into it. And, and I think at a certain level, it's really important to understand those uh, details and get them right. And I think in some ways... Um, maybe having that foundation or that experience in the beginning kind of helped me understand what it is that actually adds value within this podcast. And, um, you know, I think one of my colleagues in my MBA program, Linus, is always getting us to think about where the value actually is and encourages us to find ways, hey, listen, do you really understand what you're doing here and how it's adding to the value do the least amount of work possible to get that, which is so contrary to the way I think about things and so contrary to the way I, I typically operate. But it's it's so true, especially when someone has uh, a great deal of conscientiousness about their work, which, you know, in this case, Linus absolutely does. The point is not to do a bad job. The point is to understand which part of your work is going to give you something out of it. And, and for me... Um, Perfectionism has always been something that uh, it's, it kind of can get in the way. Trying to get it right before you launch it, trying to get it perfect before you send it to the world. Yeah, in some ways, it's important to do those things well, but in other ways, it really limits the ways that you have connections with other people. It's, it limits the ways that you can start a conversation if you portray yourself as having all the answers or a finished product. And so for me, I, I have been thinking a little bit more about what matters to me when I record these podcasts and what I hope is of value to the audience. And that's simply the connections, the conversations, and the ability to kind of jumpstart those kinds of things happening in, in, in the conversations with the people I uh, bring on. 
So uh, I want to I want to focus on those things in the coming episodes. My idea here now is to maybe um, record them a little less frequently, do them a little bit more methodically in terms of preparation for the interviews, conversations, and pre-conversations with people involved, and to go into a little bit more depth. And um, I think this uh, round of interviews kicked off in such a really special way. Today I have a guest, Anna Lebo who is a leadership coach, and um, she talks a lot about this idea of creating a space for curiosity for leadership. And she mentions how her work encourages leaders to ask the right questions, to be curious about people, about the things happening with inside the organization. And, you know, having this conversation with her, it's so clear uh, that not not only does she understand kind of what makes good leadership, but she understands uh, how to connect with people in a genuine way. And I hope that comes across to you in the same way uh, that it came across very clearly to me in, in our conversation. One thing I, um, I really loved about this conversation in particular, although Anna's background is in, in the corporate world, she speaks about her experience doing project management and engineering we ended up talking a little bit about education and her perspective about the needs of education, you know, in the workforce, the future workforce, thinking about what kinds of skills and learning orientations that people who graduate high school or university need to have. What was really powerful to me about this is she shifts the perspective about about learning, you know, and what university could or should be for. It's not just, in her words, I hope I'm paraphrasing correctly, it's not just about the courses uh, that you choose to take or the major, but it's about what you do there in terms of your networking and your ability to learn about yourself, uh, to learn about how to gather new resources and develop continuously. For me, what was so special in this conversation is she had such a, a kind of clear understanding of, um, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working with 17 and 18-year-old students who are just about to graduate uh, high school now, and they're thinking now very clearly about the exams uh, coming up, and I thought her perspective uh, was so healthy, thinking about setting a very clear understanding of why you're doing this do you know why what is this ultimately for she speaks a little bit about her her own pathway towards um towards her, her current career as a leadership coach and what drove her there and i think this message could be really valuable to anyone kind of thinking about their career path whether they're on the right path or they're looking for their path and overall, I think this was, for me, very inspiring to think about um, some very tangible tools to develop yourself, to take on this idea of self-leadership, and to maybe become more accountable for the choices that you make uh, throughout your day and your weeks. So... I think that's just about enough for me, and I'd really like to um, sort of bring you into the conversation between Anna and I. Once again, my guest is Anna Liebel, and she is a leadership coach. She has her own podcast called Genius Leadership, and I strongly encourage you to check that out. 
you know, one of the things I was really fascinated about when I was looking into your work was this idea of uh, genius leadership. And I'm curious what you, how you define genius leadership and what exactly that means. I still don't have a clear definition on, of it as like three words that actually strike the iron directly, I Scott. But mm. in general, it's the idea of having the space where you really like what you do and you you're kind of in a flow but at the same time flow to me is something that they say about that losing the time the, the track of time and life is so much more complicated than just being in the flow i feel so for me being in zone of genius is about finding the things that you're good at and what is your purpose being in line with your purpose and acting from from the space of alignment. Mm -hmm. You know, um, for some reason, leadership is, 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 every time, every time I talk to someone, leadership is like, we feel it, we recognize it when it's happening, these actions, but it's really difficult to define it in like this, like in marketing, like what's the brand of leadership, right? <laughs> um, but so I'm really curious, like how do you, how do you bring people to that space if you're working with them, you know, one-to-one, -one? if you're working with a leader and you're saying, hey, let's get to this zone of genius. What do you do to help facilitate that space? It's actually it's very funny that you mentioned the, the difficulty of defining the leadership. That's what I, that's the question with, with which I start every podcast episode of my podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I ask every of my guests, what is leadership and who is a leader to you, for you? And the definitions are different, but at the same time, there are red threads. It's a, for me, it's about the influence. And that is something that I work with my clients a lot, how they influence the others. And the truth is that we influence the others by our own example and our own behaviors much more than anything else. So for me, it's important that we actually lead ourselves and influence through showing that we want to talk more than how we have the conversations with the other people and more than how we communicate our vision and our strategy and so on. You know, it's really interesting, um, this thing that you talked about, vision and strategy. Um, these are kind of the buzzwords of like why we, why we need leaders in organizations or like this is maybe when I started, you know, pursuing leadership roles or thinking about it and for my own career, like, that's the thing that's attractive at first. Oh, you think about big strategic things, you get to work on cool projects, but actually that kind of misses the point in leadership. And, and I actually, in an earlier podcast episode, I talked about a, a very painful failure when I realized like, well, this is not what this is about. Um, why do we need leaders, do you think, in, in organizations and in society? Why can't we just sort of manage ourselves? Well, as I said, it's a lot about the self-leadership, first of all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that is actually something that we do need to practice all the time so we can manage ourselves and we should lead ourselves and for that we don't need someone with a, an official position within the organization but if we come to talking about the vision and why we need leaders within the organizations it's really about the alignment that i'm talking about mm -hmm. that it's it's about getting in the zone of genius of every individual but then also in the zone of genius of the company because as a company you also have some zone of genius it's something that you your comp the company was created to to make a difference within right? the, the space that actually they want to fill as a gap, uh, the problem that they want to solve. So we really, really need someone who can be the facilitator of that communication within the organization, uh, 
who is helping us understand, okay, this is our goal, and here are my individual uh, dreams, and, and make the connection and connect those dots. What is the, um, how can you being part of this company contribute to the dream and the vision of the company, but also how can we, by having you on board, help you reach your own dreams? Mm-hmm. And that is what leadership is about uh, for me. It's about the connecting those dots. Do you feel like that's uh, the role of leaders? Um, and I don't mean the function that they have, but maybe um, the emotional responsibility or the psychological responsibility that they have or, or need to have do you feel like that's changed in any way in the last, uh, you know, fifteen or twenty years? It uh, definitely changes. It actually depends on the the percentage of the or the who is the majority of the workplace at the moment. And there is a research showing that the leadership needs and the leadership styles have been evolving or changing depending on who was predominantly in the workplace, whether it was the uh, baby boomers or then Gen, Gen Z and so on. So that is what brings the challenges to the leadership that you really need to constantly adapt. And it's not only on the local level of your organization, but it's also uh, general society. So you always, as a leader, need to, to be on, kind of on, on top of the things and, and really have a, a good understanding of whom are you leading and what is important to these people. If I talk about the millennials now, there is so much uh, talk, uh, conversation about how important the purpose is for these people that they want to see their work as a contribution to some bigger goal it's not only about coming stamping in stamping out getting your uh, salary every second week every month whatever that's it it's not about covering your bills anymore it's about something much bigger and the leaders that's, need to adapt to that that's a real challenge that must be an enormous challenge for for leaders to to adapt to that and to try to you know identify what it is that their employees or the wider world kind of values or needs at that moment. Um, And I'm really sort of curious in your work as a leadership coach, when you're working one-to-one with people, what do you find that, that leaders need from you or what kinds of, what kinds of space do you need to provide for them to be able to tune into that stuff? So first I actually want to get back to what you said about the real challenge. I don't see it as a challenge. No, (laughs) Um, that's great. Yeah. Just because if you, if you are curious enough, then you can actually address those needs of the people around you because you see them and you actually create the space for that for for the fulfillment of their needs to happen. And if we talk about what is my contribution to that is bringing that curiosity to the top of their mind and actually creating a habit of being curious in the leaders whom I work with. So this is a big part of what we're doing, really shifting their mind from for example, I need to give uh, negative feedback to uh, to my team, uh, to my employee, and thinking like, okay, I don't want to be not liked or disliked, so I have challenges with that. And instead of that, we bring the curiosity, like, okay, what do you think the problem with their performance, for example, is coming from? So we're being curious about the other person, and mm-hmm. we shift it that you're actually not there to manage that person, but you're actually there to serve that person. For me, leadership is a lot about serving your people. So if you're being curious about your people and, and, and being curious about how can I serve this person, then you come into the feedback conversation and with a to- totally different mindset and totally different intention, you're there to help them improve instead of you're there to deliver some bad message. It's, um, 
it's an interesting that, thing that you're talking about because at the moment I'm I'm also thinking about uh, my work as a teacher and and teacher observations has been something that we've been talking about in our organization a lot. And typically, teacher organ, uh, evaluations or observations or somebody from above, a leader, a supervisor, principal comes in, makes some notes on how you're teaching, and then gives you some feedback, which can be. You know, watching, getting, so having somebody watch your work and such is such a personal thing, and it's such a delicate, um, um, a, kind of an emotional thing that has to kind of take place between the, the supervisor and then and the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think historically, there's uh, there's maybe some fear uh, around that. There is, uh, it's um, it's a vulnerable position to be in, and I, I suppose that's true in all organizations. So, in the sense, okay, let's say you're a leader and you're sitting down with an employee. Who, who may be feeling very vulnerable about, you know, their performance or their mm-hmm. job. How, how do you present yourself or what do you do in that, in that space or probably over time to establish that kind of working relationship where that's kind of um, going to be, be met with some kind of positive, uh, positive reaction. You know, Scott, it's a lot about being a coach to your uh, people. And that's what we are talking a lot about with my clients. We, we do role-playing, for example. We mm-hmm. go through the situations that they have had in the past and they felt uncomfortable in or some some potential situations or that you, uh, conversations they have to take in the near future. And we we just really go through that and play the, the whole conversation so that they can understand what kind of questions they can ask. And I teach them to shift their mind about the questions. For example, you know about the open uh, open questions without the, uh, instead of closed questions. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking something that requires a yes, no, you need to ask a question that opens up for a conversation. And you want to understand the what and the how uh, for of how people are thinking and, and why they're reacting the, the, the way that they do and so on. And for example, I pay attention if people are asking if my clients are asking in those role plays, but don't you think so that don't you think if, and so on. And that is not an open question because you're pushing your opinion onto someone. It sounds like an open question. Like it sounds like you're soliciting. Exactly. It sounds a bit like, okay, I want your opinion, but in the same time, you just, you already stated your opinion. Right. By don't you think you, you, it shows that that's what I think. And you as a, as a leader asking a question, you already put the pressure and saying, this is the raw, right answer. Whatever you say as to oppose to that will be the wrong answer. Yeah. So we're coaching to, like about those questions and we're going through, okay, how can you actually help that person open up in the conversation with you? And as I said, it's a lot about the mindset that you, you can serve your people. And by serving them, you will actually uh, create, you take, take the best out of them, right? And, and like bring it to the light and help them thrive. And that inevitably helps the company and you as a leader. Hmm. I, uh, I want to go back to this uh, thing that you said, and I really, I'm really glad you said it in response. You said, eh, I don't find it as a challenge because you have this sort of curiosity and probably many of the leaders that you're working with have this sense of curiosity. I'm wondering where this, is this something that's natural? Is it something that can be learned? It definitely can be learned because I see it from my clients. Um, the if we talk about the practical things, because I, I try to give practical things in when I teach, um, it's really about the asking questions, for example, and also becoming aware uh, about uh, aware of your reactions and and your thoughts. So, 
curiosity is definitely something that you you can learn because you know you, you definitely had it in you before look at the kid every single kid asks way too many questions if we think about from our perspective as adults but we also used to be a kid so we also used to ask all those questions meaning we used to be curious as kids it's just that the more we grow up the more we're somehow taught to think differently or to question less and one practical thing that you can do is start asking questions and just um, have a tracker on a piece of paper somewhere in a notebook or on your phone where you put a stick for every uh, question you've asked explorative not like uh, closed Don't you think that <laughs> exactly <laughs> not those kind of questions so just put a tick there okay question and then set a challenge for yourself maybe asking 50 questions per day and that gets you into the habit of asking those questions. And that is what opens up to your mind and opens up to uh, exploring, to learning new ways, to understanding the perspectives of the other people. And that is what brings us curiosity as a feature of you or as a, a characteristics of you. I, I really love that sort of practical tip just getting down to it, do do it, you know, write down some questions or write down the fact that you've been asking some questions. But, you know, I wonder if um, as we get older, part of the reason we're not asking questions is because at least in our minds, we're pretty sure we know the answer. Like, I, you know, kids, young, young kids, they're asking questions because they're genuinely curious. They don't know. It's anything could be be the response. But and we, we probably have these models or schemas in our working lives or personal lives where okay, we've seen this before. Yeah. I, I've done this before. I know what this person needs or wants from me. So um, with that in mind, like how, how do you approach um, a leader maybe who's been in their position for some time, who has a lot of experience and, and maybe um, feels very vulnerable asking these kinds of questions? What would you, how would you sort of unlock that, do you think? It's difficult for me to answer it from the perspective of someone else. Um, yeah, sure. For myself... I have some gift, which I, it took me a while to learn to own it and really use it. But people are really opening up to me naturally. Um, for a while, I thought it was a curse, to be honest, because people would open up about the tragic events and very tough stuff. And empathetic as I am, I really wanted to fix the problems and just save the world, save those people. And I was not in the power of doing so. So it was really difficult. And at some point I had the conversation with one of those friends who shared this way with me. And I said, you know, I don't know what to do with this and I don't know how to help you. And he looked at me like I was the, the biggest idiot in the world. And like, Anna, just having this conversation for the first time ever is a huge stone off my shoulders. And that really turned my mind around. Like, okay, this is actually something that, that can, can, that is help for people. So... This is something that that conversation happened, let me see, almost 10 years ago. Uh, this year it will be 10 years. So this was a decade of learning how to use that. And this is something that I do now with my clients. I have this natural gift of creating the safe space for people to share. And the more and more I realized that actually that space is so much more needed for the male leaders. And it's a very rare to have that space for male leaders. They need to be strong, they need to know the answers and so on. And that's what my focus has shifted towards more and more. Um, that I can actually, I 
this is something I can create for my clients and that's what I need to do as well because that's how we can transform the workplaces and the cultures. So I want to pick up on that a little more. Why do you think um, males in particular um, benefit or, 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 or need this kind of uh, coaching? So nowadays, the if we talk about the evol- um, evolution of the leadership styles and what is needed now most as a leader sh- leadership style in the workplace is the coaching leadership. Mm-hmm. And there are so many conversations and TED, uh, TED talks and so on about like as a leader, you need to be empathetic, you need to be vulnerable and you need to show up and be yourself and those kind of things. And the thing is that unfortunately so far still most of the managerial and leadership positions are held by men mm. and they have more troubles of doing those things because they're not brought up that way. I won't say it's more natural for women to be empathetic, to be vulnerable and so on. It's not about the nature nature of us. It's more how we are brought up as girls, right? Who then become women who maybe become leaders. So women's have those prerequisites from our upbringing to, to be those coaching leaders that are needed in the society and in workplaces now. Whilst men just hear all those phrases and they... I see a lot of like all my clients are those who are willing to be good leaders and who want to support their employees and who want to bring the best out of them. And they don't don't know how. And that's the gap that I see in the market at the moment. Hmm. It's really interesting and it seems so so obvious. No one (laughs) gets a role because they want to be a bad or poor leader or a selfish leader. But I think oftentimes somehow that, that tends to be um, yeah, too often the case that leaders are, are maybe not connecting with their workforce or not, not unlocking the talents that they have in front of them. It's a big challenge. It is. It is. And no one is winning from that. We, mm-hmm. we see so much, uh, so many issues with the mental health in the workplace. We see so much disengagement. And I've seen the statistics that around 70 or more than 70% of disengagement is coming from the mid-management. Because those people who are stuck in between, who are there to lead others, and they actually, if you talk about the numbers of the in the workplace, um, they are leading a lot of people, right? Hmm. And when they are not getting the support that they need from the top levels, like quite often, executive, there, there is some executive coaching and, and and so on, right? And they help get some leadership help, or more often those people are getting into some mentorship programs for example sure. they get some mentor they they are in some uh, mind uh, what do they call them mastermind groups and so on with the other leaders right so they're supporting each other which is still not enough but um, that is happening but middle management is quite often left alone and when they are not healthy when they are not fulfilled with they don't need how to be a good leader for the people because they do have passion as just as you said no one becomes the manager just because they they want to be that badass who everyone hates or everyone's scared of yet they don't have the support to together and they are affecting all the levels under them and creating that unhealthy working environment that really makes people sick physically it's such an interesting observation about um, middle leaders in maybe the different kind of training that's expected or offered. And I think at least in the teaching profession, the people who are generally in the middle leadership roles 
because they're they're really strong teachers and they get promoted to a department head and i suppose that's similar in business where um you're a strong performer and you get this role to lead but okay you've been a strong performer you've been a good teacher that doesn't mean you necessarily know the tools to lead Absolutely. and one of the things i'm learning more and more is um it's um it's something that needs to be learned and developed it's of course, you have some natural leadership traits that come from your experiences and how you've handled them, but you don't just like get a, a role and understand how to motivate people. It doesn't happen just because you, you've got a title. And that, that can be a painful lesson, I'm sure. Definitely. And so, just just what you're observing in the teaching environment, Scott, I, I, I saw in the engineering environment as well, uh, working in the R&D, uh, research and development of the big corporations, the, the best engineer, the best performing engineer usually becomes the manager. Sure. And the thing is that quite often those people have the prerequisites to become a good leader. They do care about people. Yes, they're good about the technical parts, uh, but they still have the prerequisites to, to be good guides for the other people to develop and for the other people to perform in a good way. So it's really about giving those people the opportunity to grow and giving the support for them to grow. So you know, you only mentioned that you, um, from an earlier conversation, as I recall, you were in engineering field. That's how you started in this. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of transitioned from that into your, your current role in leadership coaching and, and maybe what inspired you to, to make that move? It was a combination of things, Scott. Yes, I did uh, work in the engineering environment as the uh, project manager, or uh, first started as a project coordinator, so that's the right hand of a project manager. And then I went over to project leading projects um, where the teams would be engineers predominantly. And now connecting the dots, looking back, I realized that a lot of my time as in that work was about leading people and quite often leading people one-to-one. So yes, I was sitting a lot in the meetings, but it was a lot about seeing every person, seeing their needs, taking them into the conference room uh, from the corridor and seeing, hey, I see that something is wrong. How can I help you? What is going on? Uh, it would be, could, could be something about their personal life, that someone was going through a sickness, uh, or it could be that they had too many uh, duties at work, and then it was my responsibility to see how can I uh, unload that person? How can we redistribute the, the workload? How can I support them, even if it's not going to be, or it's not, not, not necessarily my direct responsibility, but maybe I can do some part of their work so that they can actually go home and sleep at night instead of lying awake or working until 2 a.m. Mm. So it was a lot about leading the other people. And then what was the deciding factor was actually that I moved from Sweden to Iceland with uh, my husband's work. And uh, it was time to start uh, new, like look for a new job anyways. And I looked at the market and I realized that, okay, now it's time for me to actually tap into what I love doing most and what I'm best at, which is leading other people. So, uh, and I've been doing it on the side. So I've been coaching friends and colleagues uh, just at the kitchen table, so to say, and not taking payment for that. But I've been seeing great results and I've been getting great, great feedback. And I thought, if I love doing this so much and I see the results that are really creating a difference in people's life, lives, why would I not do it full time instead of trying to do it on the side at the dinner table? 
and uh, and since then you've sort of uh, felt um, I'm I'm sort of curious like how how is your connection to the work that you do? Well, let me let me let me ask this question because you you mentioned it earlier, and I'm really uh, sort of curious. We started talking about genius leadership, and about how you know tapping into the thing that you value most. It sounds like um, you're you're very much doing that in your work. And I guess the question that I'm I'm really curious about, I really want to know, um, because I I work with students who are in their late teen years, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. A lot of them are thinking about what their lives are going to be like. And and I wonder if you might be able to give me or them some advice about how do you focus in on the thing that resonates with you, on the values that, yeah, that, like I'm really good at coaching. I'm really good at asking these questions and creating the space for people. How do you recognize that? I think for me, it comes to having challenges. Like mm-hmm. building my own business now is super hard. <laughs> yeah. It's so much sweat, sweat, blood, and tears that a lot of people can't even imagine. It's so much uncertainty. I'm so out of my comfort zone in many ways daily. And the thing that shows me that I'm in my zone of genius is that I don't question my choice. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really powerful. Can you talk? Can you talk a little more about that? It's really about like okay, I I know it's tough, but I I know the purpose. I know why I've started this really tapping into that why as Simon Sinek is teaching us, right? Mm -hmm. Know the why and really remind yourself about that every day. I want to change the lives of people. I want to transform the workplaces and the cultures. I want to have healthier environment for everyone. And I see my contribution for that to that. And at the moment, I'm not doing it at the scale that I want, but that's the thing. I know that ultimate goal and I might shift my direction sometimes. I might shift my strategies. I'm getting clarity with every new client, right? And I'm, as I say, and like now I'm tapping into, okay, I, maybe I won't only want to work with uh, male clients because I see a huge gap there and that's something that I can fill and not every coach can. Mm-hmm. So I might shift the focus sometimes, but the ultimate goal stays there. And I know it's hard, but seeing that goal and thinking that, okay, this step, the scary step that I'm taking at the moment will help me get closer to that goal. It gives me the power to actually uh, be brave and, and take that step. And that you can have as well with a student, as a student, for example. Um, it's it's about when you, when you study for some exams, it can be super hard. You can be frustrated that you don't understand. You have too little time and so on and so forth. But if you feel like getting this grade or understanding this topic will actually get me one step closer to where I want to be, this is your zone of genius. This is your why. I am going to share that direct quotation in my class and and probably next week uh, because we're just now starting uh, for our 17, 18 year olds last year's high school just now getting down to exam season and feeling a lot of burnout. And in some ways you've kind of identified some of the feelings that are going around in the classroom. Like, why am I doing this? Or not for your, in your sake, but you know, how can I stay focused if, if there's all this work in front of me, if there's all of these things that are uncertain. And I think you've given a really good lesson about like, okay, well, 
sit back and reflect on the whole, the whole reason you embarked on this journey. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. And, you know, I think a lot of them, another thing you said, which really resonated, uh, a lot of, a lot of the students I work with feel really anxious about their future. Like I have to decide what I'm going to do for university. I have to know for sure. And I really like what you just said about, I ha- I know my why I know my purpose and it's definitely okay if the strategy is going to shift and change a little bit along the way as I get more information. Mm-hmm. Like it's so logical. You learn more. Why wouldn't you be able to make a better decision as you go further? Yeah. And um, I think that's something that uh, that I really hope that if, if any students listen to this, I really hope that they uh, take that away for sure. Scott, I want to pause here for a moment a bit and go a bit deeper because I, I've also been talking to youth. I am originally from Ukraine and I, I'm having a... Um, project, the non-profit project, where I take tourists, international tourists, to Ukraine to show them the beauty of my country. And we go into rural areas where we visit schools to open up the minds to of the pupils that we meet. And I usually say that we show the world to, uh, to Ukraine and Ukraine to the world. And we talk a lot about this. I, we usually go in the high school, so the, that's the last two years of school. And we talk a lot, a lot about the choice of education and your profession. And we discussing with them that, okay, nowadays, you guys, you will change your careers, like the path and the professions uh, more than 10 times mm-hmm. in your lifetime. You will have to learn again and again. And the, your university degree is just the first step. It's for you to try. And a lot of things that are like the most important for me in the education in the, in the, at the university is about developing the critical thinking it's about learning how to learn it's also about the network the people who with whom you're studying the people who are teaching you they will be your support system and your and your network that will help you to keep learning to keep developing and to progress in your life and career for the rest of your years on the planet so focus on those things and don't think that this is the ultimate choice and you have to stick to the f- finances if you choose go that path uh, as the bachelor degree of yours. It's really not like that. <laughs> I'm going to put that on repeat in my classroom as we start each day. Should I start teaching actually? What do you think, Scott? <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think that would be a fantastic idea. At least a motivational speaker at high schools because, mm-hmm. um, I, and I mean that very sincerely, um, what you're saying about critical critical thinking, learning how to learn, and and this idea of using it as a network is something that I I wish in high school we spent more time like preparing students to, to get to that stage to like okay this university major is just a basically an excuse to get around the group of people who are going to help you think and work, and it's going to shift and change a lot over your lifetime. Um, so maybe I have a question for you and uh, sorry if I'm pushing you uh, into the education realm here, but, um, you know, you work with leaders all the time. What it's, this has been something that's been on my mind a lot. I, um, I'm working at, with the student council at my school and, and, and different, um, kind of student leadership stuff going on. And I'm always really curious about like where, and how and what should we be teaching these students to prepare them for taking on initiatives, not just formal leadership roles, but self-leadership? Mm-hmm. Um, from your perspective, what are some of the things? So if you graduated high school, you're 18 years old, what are some of the things that you would want to have in your toolkit um, in, in 
2021 or in the next 10 years? What are some of the, the skills and the ways of looking at the world do you think are most important? I think what you, the, the crucial or the key words here are the view of the world. Because I feel like this is what will make or break you as the like the global human uh, these days and a lot of leaders whom i invite to my podcast uh, who inspire me uh, they talk about that how their views were broadened from the travels from the meaningful conversations in the dinner table about cultures about differences and similarities and so on so I would say that what we need to add so much more to schools is really broadening the perspective, showing that different prerequisites that people have in the world, especially us in the Nordics, kids are so spoiled. They just don't know what's going on in the life, in the world elsewhere. So just if, if it's not impossible to travel, be it COVID or the financial situation or whatever, bring the movies and discuss those movies. What do you see in this? Why do you think those people steal on the streets uh, in, in, in the third world country? Just discuss those things, okay? And then and bring the examples of people who, who had nothing, who had no prerequisites for succeeding, yet they are on top. They have gone, and be it physical uh, disabilities that they have, or they've come from poverty and from the districts where people were killed on the streets every single day in dozens and so on and so forth. Yet they have had something in them to push, to persevere, and to actually get to uh, become successful and help people. Look at Tony Robbins. He is like a very classical example of the guy who is now a billionaire, who is just like here's about an interesting idea of entrepreneur. He's like, I'll send you $30 million, let's do it, and so on and so forth. He's like throwing money in the charities and so on. How did, he, did it start for him? He's talking about that he he didn't have a healthy relationship in the home. His mother was beaten up and he was also beaten up by, I don't remember whether it was father or father-in-law or um, stepfather, but uh, there, was, there was abuse at the home. And they, were, they lived in the poverty. And the private moment for him was that when someone brought the um, food back for them for Thanksgiving. And he realized that someone cares. No one cares about me in these four walls. But someone outside of these four walls cares for me. And that guy worked his ass off to become this billionaire now. And you can think whatever you want about his events that cost $15,000 for two days or whatever. Uh, it's a ripoff. But <laughs> at the same time, he goes and puts this money to work, to change lives. Now he's feel, uh, like feeding billions or like millions of people in, the, uh, in America. He's given up billions of meals. And that's the things that, like, that you can do if you see the perspectives. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the individual's role in, okay, let's say I don't have money for a coach, I don't have, um, or I'm a student, and I am really curious, maybe not for the reason that I want to pursue a new career or a new um, position, but I'm really curious, and let's say I want to um, develop myself. 
What are some of the first steps I should be taking? Start journaling. Hmm. Uh, you probably have some pen at home. You most probably have even some notebook that you've never used or you started using, but you only have like two pages written and the rest is empty. Take those blank pages and start a habit of writing down things every evening. And what every single client of mine does, I have a huge toolbox of things and I'm not repeating or like I don't have a curriculum for every client that they have to go through. But the only thing that everyone of them has to do is this structured journaling and reflection in the end of the day. And answer three questions for yourself. Start with three. The fourth one you can add later, but let's talk about the first three. Uh, answer, what did I do well today? Or what am I proud of? And write down at least three things. And I want to challenge everyone to write five things on the bad days. When wow. you open the book in the evening and you think this was a crappy day and I don't have anything good, challenge yourself to be creative and to find five, five things in that day that you've done well. And I'm giving examples of the coach that has affected me a lot. Um, in Norway, a lot of people might know her, Mia Thurnblom. She's a Swedish coach in leadership and self-leadership. And she's given examples of if you are in a depression, you're going through some traumatic experience or you are just in a depression just because it's it's your body's chemical reactions at the moment. And you're still committing to open that book in the end of the day. Write down that I didn't kill myself. Hmm. If that's a, those are the thoughts that are going through your mind. Hmm. Or write down, got out of bed. Hmm. Got a meal into myself. Hmm. Brushed my teeth. Here we go, we already have four or five things. And... You can also use it a bit with humor. Uh, if you have some tough and stressful situation at work, right, didn't punch my boss in the face, <laughs> even though he was behaving as a jerk. That's again me as example. And I love those because they give you the perspective. It doesn't have to be that you save the world every single day to write something in his. Oh, and I really, really appreciate this conversation today. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing? Any websites or podcasts that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I've mentioned the podcast a couple of times in the organization. It's called Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. You can find it on most uh, platforms where you listen to the podcasts. And um, my website is annaliebel.com, A-N-N-A-L-I-E-B-E-L.com. You can find uh, weekly blogs there and some information about me. And I'm mostly on LinkedIn, but I'm also on Facebook and uh, Clubhouse since recently. So just use any of those resources to reach out to me and ask the follow-up questions or brainstorm how you can find your zone of genius. Thanks so much. I found this really valuable and I know the audience will as well. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Scott.